Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's text from Luke chapter 13 is kind of a hard text in a way, but in another way, it's also a message of grace. It takes us back to things that seem to happen quite often, at least in our recent history. It has to do with mass tragedies. And you know, whenever a mass tragedy is in the news, like a building collapsing or a mass murder, it's become customary to get opinions and comments from uh, high-profile individuals, celebrities, or other influential figures. Now, that's what happens in our culture today, and it's also what we see happening in Jesus' time. In the reading today that Dennis shared with you a while ago from Luke chapter 13, some people approach Jesus, and they ask him for his views and his opinions about a great tragedy that had just taken place. There had been a mass murder of some Galileans at the temple in Jerusalem. They were literally cut down and slaughtered by Pilate's soldiers. So they come up to Jesus and they have this question. And they just say, well, Jesus, what is your take on this terrible tragedy? I mean, you're a Galilean yourself. You must have something to say about this. Well, he does, but it's not what people were expecting. In fact, it's probably not what we are expecting. So, Jesus, what's your take on mass tragedies? Repent or perish. What do you think about that? That's his response. Repent or perish. Repent or die. I don't know when you heard that before. Did that seem kind of abrupt? Did it strike you as being a little bit cold or heartless? Well, actually, it's not cold and heartless, as we're going to see. But first, we're just going to back up for a moment, and let's set the scene here. What's going on in our text? Because there's stuff going on around this little part of God's Word. Apparently, there were some Jews who lived up in that area of Galilee, which is where Jesus was from. They had gone down to the temple, like people usually do, and they were offering up their sacrifices at the temple. But on this one occasion, while they were down there, Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman governor, sent soldiers into the temple ground, and he brutally slaughtered a bunch of these worshipers, a bunch of these Galileans. I mean, it was the mass murder of the day. I'm sure the next day in the Jerusalem Times or whatever, it was well reported. Now, we're not told why he did it. Maybe he just did it out of plain, simple old meanness. I mean, maybe he did it because he viewed the Galileans as a bunch of urban terrorists or insurrectionists. But, you know, the Romans did not mess around. When they thought something was wrong, they stepped in, and they didn't care whether it was a mass murder or not. And so it is here that some people are coming to tell Jesus about it. Well, they figured that he would be interested in the news because they might be some people that were his neighbors back up in Galilee. They were just checking to see whether he'd heard it. Kind of like what people do here. They call the church office and they say, well, pastor, did you know? (laughs) 
They're coming to Jesus, did you know? And it seems that they wanted his take on this matter. I mean, Jesus by this time is already a high-profile individual. He's known to be rather outspoken, and he's often known to say some pretty controversial stuff. So they want his opinion. But the first thing Jesus says in his answer actually tells us more about the people who are asking the question. They said, Jesus, what do you think about these guys getting slaughtered in the temple? And Jesus said, do you think those people, those Galileans, were worse sinners than all those other Galileans because they suffered this way? Now, that might strike us as odd because the people were asking Jesus, you know, apparently these people who were guilty of a being murdered, this mass murder in the temple area, it must have happened because they were worse sinners than other people. That's why they suffered this awful fate. In other words, it's the sort of bad thing that happens to bad people. Therefore, those people must have been really bad people. Now, that might seem odd to us, but that was the prevailing attitude of the people in Jesus' day. They thought if something bad happened to you, you must be a bad person. And if something really bad happened to you, you must be some mean, miserable, rotten, bad, and nasty sinner. I mean, after all, they looked back at their Old Testament, and they thought about Job, and they saw Job there losing everything, sitting in a bunch of ashes, scraping his skin with all those boils all over his body. And all of Job's friends came along, and what did they think? They thought he had done something really, really bad, and they were urging him to repent. I mean, even his own wife comes and says, oh, come on, Job, you know, give it up, curse God and die. And then there's Jesus' own disciples. Maybe you remember the story when they came across the blind man. And the disciples turned to Jesus and and, and they said, "Uh, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was afflicted with this blindness? In other words, what did he do or what did his mom and dad do that was so bad that he had to be blind? Well, you know, bad things happen to bad people. That was the idea in Jesus' day. But Jesus, as usual, disagrees completely with that notion. He says, no, I tell you, those Galileans who were killed, it was not because they were worse sinners. Jesus refuses to buy into that idea because people die in a violent and tragic way all the time. He's not buying into the fact that it happens because some people are worse people than others. But you know, at the same time, there's something else that Jesus is not saying. Jesus is also not saying that because these people may have been innocent, that they may have just been, you know, innocent victims of a terrible tragedy, that they automatically are going to heaven, you know, that they must have been pure and innocent before God. And you know something, that's kind of the notion we have in our society today, that something really bad happens to people. These innocent people... Oh, God's going to take them right to heaven. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. After 9-11, in which 3,000 people were killed in a terrorist attack, they had an interfaith prayer service that was held in Yankee Stadium. Some of you remember that. Oprah Winfrey, 
the high priestess of American civil religion, actually said this, quote, You know, I believe that when you lose a loved one, you gain an angel whose name you know. End of quote. And then she assured that crowd of thousands of people that day by saying, quote, angels were added to the spiritual roster. End of quote. Well, Oprah, that just ain't so. Sorry to say. Being an innocent victim of a terrible tragedy does not give you an automatic ticket to heaven. What she said that day was, well, let's put it very bluntly, was heresy, false doctrine. She was giving people false hope that's connected nowhere to Scripture. Let's just back up to a recent tragedy, the Newtown shooting in December. Twenty children, six adults were killed. It's a horrible tragedy. And once again, they had an interfaith prayer service held there. And unfortunately, some of the same message of universal salvation apart from Jesus was also conveyed there. One of the clergy said, quote, We bring to you 20 new stars in the heaven, 20 new saints, 20 new angels. And again, friends, I'll tell you, it just ain't so. Innocent victims? Yeah. Automatically saved? No. That pastor, once again, was giving people false hope. I mean, that's the dominant view in American society today. It kind of goes like this. Innocent victims of, in, of evil and violence, innocent victims of disasters and catastrophes, Innocent victims of terrible tragedies, somehow they're automatically in heaven, automatically with God, you know, whatever you conceive God to be. Now, the term for that is universalism. Another term for it would be heresy. Another term would be false doctrine, although doctrine doesn't have much to do with it, or false teaching. It's the kind of stuff that people peddle to try to give people comfort. But it does so in the wrong way. It misleads people. And I'd suggest to you, you know, when I hear over and over about people who've died and gone to heaven and now they're an angel, or how mom or dad or aunt and uncle are sitting up in heaven watching over us, it's a misleading statement. Quite honestly, if your relatives are up in heaven looking down and watching you, uh, heaven wouldn't be much of a heaven. They'd be pretty miserable up there watching it's really the heresy of our day. See, the, er the error back in Jesus' day was to assume that victims of tragedies must have had it coming. Today, it's like, oh, innocent victims, they didn't have it coming, so they now suddenly become stars in heaven or angels. And to both of those, Jesus said, it just ain't so. But then Jesus said something that's really surprising. He says, but unless you repent, you will also likewise die. Now, I don't know about you. You kind of go, where is that coming from? And then he adds to the death of that slaughter of those Galileans another example of his own. He says, and by the way, you heard the other story, didn't you, about those 18 people up in Siloam who were killed when the tower fell over them? Were they worse 
sinners than the people who got slaughtered here in Jerusalem. And they're just standing there looking at Jesus, not knowing what to say. And Jesus basically answers the question. He says, no, but unless you repent, you also will die. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Now, I don't know that any of you would say that's what you expect Jesus to say in the face of tragedies. Repent or perish. Repent or die. I mean, this is just something we don't like to hear. But it's not like Jesus is being cold and heartless, friends. Indeed, it's actually the opposite. Jesus here is giving us a wake-up call. And a lot of people need a wake-up call. See, Jesus is taking these sudden, unexpected deaths, and he's using them to call our attention to matters of our own life and death. I mean, if Jesus were standing here today, he would probably say, you, you guys, you guys out here, are you ready to die? Are you ready for death? And he probably would add, you know, these examples, the tower falling over, the slaughter, these should tell you that death can come anytime, any place, anywhere, anyhow. And I think all of us understand that, that the suddenness and the nearness of death, which could strike us unexpectedly anytime, ought to serve as a wake-up call to all of us. I mean, don't get caught up in whether these people killed in this tragedy were worse sinners or worse yet, that they are now all suddenly angels in heaven. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's stressing the urgency of our own repentance. I hope you understand, repentance means that you're obviously going in the wrong direction. And when Jesus says repent, he is saying, change your mind and change your direction. Go another way. Because if you're walking this way and you're, you're walking to the road to hell, you're going to end up in hell unless you do what? Repent. Change your mind. Change your direction and get going back in the way that he's called us to go. He really stresses the need for repentance. He's warning us, really, that judgment day is coming. I mean, there's, there's something that's a whole lot worse than being cut down by a bunch of brutal soldiers. There's something a whole lot worse than having some tower fall on you. There's something a whole lot worse than having you in a building when a plane hits. There's something a whole lot worse than being gunned down within a school. He's saying, and are you ready for it? Are you ready for something that's worse, which is the end of your own life, no matter how it comes? He said, if you're not, then you'll perish. Now, the fact that Jesus alerts us to our need and is calling us to our repentance, I look upon as being a good thing. It's actually a very gracious thing to give us a little bit of warning. Because you and I constantly need to be reminded that we need help. We need rescuing. I typically record a, a little one-minute video on Sunday mornings and distribute it to some people. And today I happen to show them my necktie. Well, if you can see the necktie, what's, what's all in the front of it, Maddie? State of Texas. 
Well, part of the reason I, I, put, I wore that tie was because it was Texas Independence Day the other day. And a couple of things I've learned while living here in Texas, beyond saying y'all and fixin' and stuff like that, I've also learned that Texans, by and large, are fiercely independent people. I mean, that explains why the Texas flag and the United States flag fly at the same height. They fought long and hard for their freedom. And they're not going to let anybody tell them different. Now, what I was trying to tell people in this video is this. I have tried in my life very hard to find my own freedom. I have done my own battles. I've searched for independence. I've searched for freedom only to discover that by my own efforts, I wasn't getting anywhere. And it wasn't until the day that I repented of that, changed my mind, and looked to Jesus, the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith, and said, Jesus, I submit to you, and let him fight all of the battles, that I really became independent Or I literally became free. Free from what? Free from sin. Free from death. Free from the devil. I'm just saying we all need to be rescued. And of course, the chief rescuer is who? It's Jesus. That's why Jesus came into this world. That's why he continues to call us. I mean, Luther, in some of his explanations in the in the, in the small catechism, it said, I've been called by the gospel. I've been called by the Holy Spirit. He's constantly calling us to himself. He's calling us to come to him. He's calling us to have this mind of Christ, which is to change our mind. He's calling us to repentance. That's because he wants us to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to perish. I mean, God's will is to save every last person. The book of Ezekiel, for example, it says, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. In other words, repent. Second Peter, you have it right up there on the screen. The Lord is patient toward you. He is not wishing that anyone would perish, but all should reach repentance. And you all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, my question to all of you today is, do you understand this? Do you understand this? God does not want any of us to die. Now, he knows we're going to die physically. Unless, of course, he decides to have judgment day, which any time now would be okay with me. I'm not sure I got an ending to the sermon. I pray for it all the time. We're going to pray for it in the Lord's Prayer after a while. You know, thy kingdom come. But we're going to die, but he doesn't want any of us to die eternally. He doesn't want us to die spiritually. He wants every last one of us to have eternal life. And this life is found only in his Son, who is our Lord, who is our Savior, who is Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Now, in the slaughter of the temple, when Dennis read this to you before, you may have noticed it was mentioned that Pontius Pilate 
mingled the blood of the Galileans with their sacrifices. So there was blood, and it was a combination of Galilean blood, human blood, and animal sacrifice. You know something? There's one more Galilean that Pilate was going to sacrifice, wasn't there? One more Galilean. His name was Jesus. One more Galilean whose blood Pilate would shed, Jesus of Nazareth. And this time it would only be the blood of the Lamb of God. It was the one sacrifice that would end all the other sacrifices, for his is the blood of the Holy Son of God. It's shed on our behalf that cleanses us from all of our sins, that brings us to what? Independence Day. It covers the sins of the whole world. I mean, God has been calling. I mean, that's all God has been doing. He, he, he's been calling us. Some of you may not have even answered the door yet. You hear the knocking, but you haven't answered it. I bet that every last person in this room today has someone that they're pretty sure that God has been calling, but they haven't been responding. But you know, God is going to keep calling and calling and calling because he's a loving God. He's a caring God. He's calling everyone to repent and believe. You all know that I've been working down at Louisiana State Penitentiary for 11 plus years now. I have sat and talked to I don't know how many of the guys down there, certainly not all. They're up to 6,400 inmates now. I've not talked to all of them. But I have talked to so many of them who tell me about the direction they were going in life. And the direction they were going in life was a fast track to hell. There's no other way to say it. But then something happened in their life where they actually heard the call of God. Now, some of these guys would tell you they actually heard an audible voice, and I believe that. Some people say they just happened to be in the right place at the right time when somebody told them about Jesus. And it was at that time they realized, I'm going in the wrong direction. Now, I'm going to die here in this prison. There's no doubt about it. I got a life sentence, but I don't want to die eternally. And so what did they do? They repented of their sins. They changed their mind, and they began changing their direction. Nancy and I have had an interesting conversation a couple of different times. And it kind of centers up with this. Who would preach at your funeral? I mean, it's like Nancy would say, well, if I die, would you preach at my funeral? I say, of course. I mean, who, who knows you better than me? But she wants to know, who would preach at the pastor's funeral? An interesting question. Uh, John's volunteering, but <clears throat> sorry, John. <laughs> I'm waiting to do yours, but you're not doing mine. Uh, <laughs> but I, I suddenly realized that I could think of three pastors that I really thought would, I'd love to have them do my funeral. But they're all serving life sentences at Angola. <laughs> and so I've asked Warden Kane. I said, Warden Kane, just out of curiosity, if I were to ever die, you know, w- would you let uh, 
Sydney, Iran, come and do my funeral. He said, man, we'd send the whole prison gospel band up. I said, oh, man, people would be dying by the bunches. <laughs> Listen to that. Some black Baptist pastor preaching at my funeral. But, you know, I know something about them. I know the change in their life. These guys know they're probably going to die in this prison. But they know they're not going to die eternally. I mean, they trust today in Jesus, and they trust in Jesus alone. They no longer trust in the gods of their making. And these guys have some of the same gods you and I have followed followed many years. I mean, they followed the gods of drugs and the gods of alcohol and the gods of sex and the gods of who knows what. Let's be honest, we've all got our own little G-gods that we followed until we decided to turn away and follow the capital G-god. They trust in Him and they trust in Him alone for their righteousness, for their salvation. As one guy told me one time, Pastor Jesus is the only reliable ticket to heaven. Ain't no way I'm going to fly standby. (laughs) I mean, he was saying, I'm not going to trust in somebody else. I'm going to trust in Christ and Christ alone. That's why I say this text. We just need to thank God that he does call us to repentance. He calls us to put our trust in Jesus. Last week, you may remember, I I did that, that, um, that cheer, you know. Uh, we have spirit. Yes, we do. We have spirit. How about you? You know how that used to do. But if I said, you know, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? I mean, this is, this is the whole deal. To thank God and to put our trust in Jesus who loves us so much that he doesn't want us to die eternally. He wants us to be saved. See, Jesus is our one hope, friends, in the midst of every tragedy and every loss. Jesus is the one sure and lasting comfort who will carry us through this veil of tears, through this valley of the shadow of death, and will bring us ultimately to a better place, will bring, him, bring us to himself. Jesus is the only one who can really wipe away all of our tears and give us joy that lasts forever. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your call. It sometimes seems like a, a stern word, a, a challenging word to repent or perish. Surely, each and every one of us will be called home someday by you. But we want to be ready. And part of that readiness comes from, from your call, the Holy Spirit tugging on our heart to where we change our mind that we work on developing that mind of Christ to become more and more like you in each and every day, where we gain freedom, not by our own works, but purely through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for calling us. We thank you for being our one hope. We thank you for being our one sure and lasting comfort. And we thank you that someday you will wipe away all the tears from our eyes and give us a joy that will never end. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.